They didn't know what to do with that, did they, Corinne? Yeah. How old are you, by the way? 19. Okay. That's probably not a song that's on your playing list, maybe not even a genre that you would listen to. That song was written by a 17-year-old. She's 19. It's not that far away. And it is expressing what she feels is going on in the culture right now in that age group. And it did a really good job of doing that. Because if you're, if you're having conversations, if you're engaged at all, if you're paying attention about what's happening with the younger kids right now, that level of anxiety that they just sang about in that song is happening all over the place. Now, I will tell you that one or two times a year as I get ready to teach about something, I have this sense of dread. It's not that I dread because I didn't prepare. I have. It's not that... I dread because I don't want to say what I want to say. I actually want to say what I'm going to say today. I, I'm, there's some dread because there's a lot of opportunity for some misunderstanding. Uh, because I'm, I'm going to present to you some truths that I think are in the scriptures. They're solid. And then I'm going to give you some of my commentary and my opinion, my thoughts on it that are maybe even personal to me. And that's debatable. But what could happen is if you get stuck on one of those debatable things and you toss out the truth, it's a huge miss. Because I'm telling you right now, one of the things that stunned me as I prepared for this was this idea of anxiety is now starting to show up in counseling rooms with a large group of seven-year-olds in that age range right now, feeling so overwhelmed by anxiety, they need to seek some counseling. Seven years old. So I, I don't want you to get distracted by something that I might say or that you might not like. I, I hope you'll just hear me out all the way, take the pieces that could work, but the truths, the truths I share with you from the scripture, I hope you'll latch on to those. The reason I think this is such a big deal, this is so important, I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase gateway drug. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of people would say that doesn't exist. I'm not one of those. I think it's a real thing where if you use something that's lighter or easier on your body, alcohol, cigarettes, marijuana, and eventually that wears off for you and it's not just doing the job. So you look for something more and, you, and it opens you up. It's like a gateway to some other things that you might try and do. Is my opinion that anxiety is a gateway problem that feeds other problems. You, you let it go unattended in your life, and you will see it show up in unhealthy stress. You'll see it show up in depression, suicidal thoughts. You'll have the inability to make decisions. You'll feel paralyzed and unable to do that. Your life will be filled with doubt about everything. It's that big of a concern. Now, as I was getting ready to teach this weekend, I had one, I had one idea that I was going to mess with. And as I got into it, I realized I was only picking on one of the drivers of what was happening with anxiety. And so I decided, man, maybe this needs to be a little bit more. And so I sat down and I decided to make a list. I wanted to make a list of the things that I thought were driving this increased anxiety that we see all over in our culture right now. 
And I started recalling conversations I've had with people. I recalled conversations I've had with Mitchell and Austin about what they've seen in the youth. I listened to some of the stuff that Melissa had talked about when she was around kids and had observed. I, um, I recalled conversations I had with girls at volleyball about stuff that was going on in their lives, and I made a list. And then I went and I did a ton of reading. I looked for studies. I looked for um, anything that was dealing with the counseling stuff. And at the end of that time, I added one to the list that I, I knew was there. I didn't know it was as big of a deal as it is. And so um, I want to talk to you about four drivers, four things that I think are driving this heightened level of anxiety that's all over the place. And here's the... I want to do this because even if I do it clunky, it's better than the silence that this is getting right now. And I'm, I, the reason I want to introduce this is because I'm hoping that if I, can, if I can stir up some stuff for you to think about, that you'll be able to have a conversation with your kids, with your grandkids, with a kid that you care about. Maybe you need to have this conversation with yourself. So I'm not, I'm not looking here to identify blame and to attach blame to things. We're going to identify sources of stuff. But the habit of saying, well, that's what is to, that's to blame, that makes it really easy. It means that you don't have to do anything. You can just say it's that fault. That's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for you to be equipped with some stuff that you can think about and do differently because you understand this is going on in the lives of so many people. And it's happening with lots and lots of younger people. Okay? So let's get at it. Driver number one. If I were to identify the number one cause of what seems to be driving in like this anxiety in our culture, it would be this. There is an intense pressure to be perfect. There's an intense pressure to be perfect. It is bad news. Because if that is your goal, you will not attain it. And the problem with it is that every little thing that you do that's off reminds you of how far away you are from that goal. And it gets under your skin and it can start to eat you alive. And people who have this motivation, it's causing real problems. By the way, this is showing up all over the place. It's showing up in how you relate with people. It's showing up at school. It's showing up with uh, body and image stuff, which has always been this thing. Like the media is always kind of bombarded, but we have such access to it now that people are measuring themselves against this stuff, and they have this idea of what perfect is, and it's not happening. So I want to give you an example of one that I... I read about a lot. A lot of people were talking about this. So I think for students, this must be a pretty real thing that's going on. And I'm gonna, I'll try to remember the ex ex sequence. There's a logic sequence that goes on. And here's the belief. I need to do well in school to get a great GPA. I need a great GPA so that I can go to the right college. If I go to the right college, I can get the right career. If I get the right career, I can be happy and successful. Now, there are all kinds of things wrong with that logic. 
like all the way through. But I just, I just want to start at the top of it because that is where so many people are living right now and it's causing all kinds of problems. Listen, should you not try to get great grades? You should, but your motive matters. And if your motive is some level of perfection, you're setting yourself up for a level of anxiety that can change and ruin your life. Can I suggest a different motive? Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as for working for the Lord and not for human masters, including yourself. Sometimes you become the slave driver. And instead of having your heart inclined toward honoring God, you set a different goal in mind. The reason I love this, the reason I love this is because you're out to serve a God who loves you, who, by the way, did not choose you because you were perfect. In fact, the only reason you're connected with him at all is because you weren't. And because you weren't, he showed up and offered you a solution. So this idea that I've got to enter into life with this perfect kind of mentality is destructive. It doesn't help you. It doesn't move you along. And all it does is highlight every small thing that you do that's not perfect becomes this crushing defeat, becomes this thing that rips my heart out because I can't be perfect. Well, you could just work at it with all your heart. You could have done that. In 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul's writing to a church in Corinth, and he makes this comment about something that Jesus said to him. I believe this had to have happened in a vision. He never met Jesus face to face. So he, but he says, this is, this is something Jesus said to me. This is verse 9 of chapter 12. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. When you feel insufficient, when you've messed up, when you're at your, a place where you don't think that you could or can, God's power shows up. And there's, there's something wonderful about knowing that I've accomplished this because it's not just me. It's this partnership that I have with God. In fact, he goes on and says this. Therefore... I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. I'm, I'm willing to boast about what God is doing for me because I'm okay with the struggle because I know he's with me. That, that idea of struggle is going away under this view of perfection. We were hosting a little kid's volleyball camp. Some of you know uh, I coach at the local high school. And so every summer we bring in K through 6th grade and we expose them to volleyball. We let them have some fun. It's a very hard game to learn. People who've been doing it for a long time can't get the ball to go where they want it all the time. That's just not the way it works. So you start these kids out doing all kinds of stuff they're going to fail at and hopefully, they'll try it enough and love it enough that they'll just keep wanting to go and go and go. So we had this, I don't know, maybe third grader. Maybe she was second. She would, um, we put them um, against a wall where they could pass the ball back and forth. It makes it easy. 
it's not going to be a good pass, so they don't have to run as far. Like, it goes here, and then you just pick it up, and you do it again. And you get a lot of touches this way. This little girl tossed the ball at the wall off her arms, and it didn't go well, and she got upset. She did it another time. It didn't go well. She crumpled to the ground and started bawling. I'm not, I'm not talking about, like, a crying that you've seen when somebody's pouting or upset. I'm talking brokenhearted bawling. I can't do this. Honey, you, you just did that two times. That's, that's not enough of a thing to decide that you can't do this or not. And so I stood there and I tried to help her find some level of success. Why? Because you've got to try and fail and try and fail and try and fail. And if you're unwilling to fail because failing sometimes part of the learning process, you won't get better at stuff. You won't, you won't have a chance to grow. And so this, this young kid is already wilting at the sight of anything that she can't do well instantly. Why? She thought she could do it perfectly. She thought she could pull it off. And nobody could. There was not a single soul who, if you would stand and pass the ball against the wall, could do it for hours without making a mistake. It's going to happen. And yet this is what we're facing with so many young people. The, the truth is, some of my most important failings in life have led to some of my best decisions in life. I have failed as a parent. I wish I really wouldn't have made the decision that I made. I failed as a husband, and I had to go and correct that and say I'm sorry and make a different decision. I've made bad decisions as a leader at Waypoint. Where I look after it's all over and go, what? That was, I just did that poorly. Why did I choose to go about it that way? And you have, you have this basket of stuff. But see, nowhere along the line of making those mistakes did I go, wow, I guess I shouldn't be married anymore. I can't afford to make mistakes with her. I should be done. Let's get divorced. It's over with. Hey, I should unload this kid. I can't parent very well. Does anybody want one? I've got a whole bunch, right? Never along the path did that happen. And yet, there's a whole group of people right now who are giving up on anything that they can't be perfect at. Can I, can I just point out what you're pursuing, if you're a person who has perfection in your DNA, you want to be perfect, do you understand that what you're pursuing is an opportunity to not need God anymore? That's what you're shooting for. I want to be so good at this that I don't need God in my life. I have weaknesses. Acknowledging that, knowing that, means I also need God, and I need God. I need God as a parent. I need God as a husband. I need God as a leader. I need God, because without him, I'm in trouble. But if you have this tone of perfection that comes up in your life, you're going to be in real trouble. 
Now, just let me go back, if I can, real quick, to that logic-like tree that they built. If I have to have the best GPA so I can get in the best school, so I can, can I just tell you that if you follow that to the end, if you you decide that I'm going to be perfect in school so that I can get the perfect college, so I can get the perfect job, so that I can be successful and happy, you are going to be disappointed because happiness and success do not come with your job or career. It doesn't come with your marriage. It doesn't come with any of that stuff that money might buy you. It comes with a relationship and connection with Jesus that changes the way you look at all of those things. And without that, the rest of that stuff is meaningless. Did you know, by the way, that 27% of people in the U.S. are currently working in the major that they studied in college? 27%. Are you aware that you'll probably have one or fewer conversations about your GPA in your lifetime. I have one. I don't even know if it counts as a conversation. Look, times have changed. I can tell you that. Because I'll tell you my GPA, and some of you are going to go, oh, my word, how in the world? Hey, I survived, right? So I'm in my first interview. It's on my resume. And the guy, this, is the, this is the only conversation I've ever had. He said, 3.2. Not bad. Never brought it up again. You know why he said not bad? Because what, was, what else was on my resume? What I, I was working two or three jobs every semester in school. I was, in, I was involved with a volleyball team. I had classes. My life was full of all kinds of stuff. And I was learning all kinds of stuff. And that was one part of it. Can I tell you, if you set out your goal to be perfect in one area of your life, it will consume all of your energy to do that. And there are studies out there. You can go look them up. I'm not making this up. There are studies out there right now that are showing that people who decide to to pursue perfection with their grades end up with other skills that are undeveloped. I wrote them down. They don't have creativity skills, leadership skills, teamwork skills, social and emotional skills. All have to be abandoned in order for you to be perfect with your grades. And what they've found is there are a lot of people who didn't do that, who end up in dynamic leadership roles because they learned a whole bunch of other things besides that. You should get the best grades that you can get to honor God. And you should have other experiences in your life. And you should do the best at those that you can to honor God. Because all of that will make you into who you are. And if you decide that you're going to control your outcome by pursuing perfection, you're going to be in trouble. Sometimes, parents we reinforce this perfection thing instead of giving them a realistic understanding. I wish, I wish if, if I could change one thing, it would be that today, as a parent, 
as somebody who's engaged with a kid, you would have the courage to tell them about a failure that you had in life and how it didn't ruin you. Like it made you stronger. You did okay. Why? Because you're connected to Almighty God and He carries you through junk. And they ought to hear that and they ought to hear that and they ought to see that in your lives. And this pursuit of perfection that's choking us needs to go away. Driver number one. Number two, if you were to look at the lives of students and you were to talk about them, you would find out pretty quickly that they are comparing themselves with other people on a pretty regular basis. Paul also deals with this in Corinthians. A couple chapters before that, he says this very directly in Verse 12 of chapter 10, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. By the way, he just described the Roman Empire. That's how the whole culture was set up. I did sing, I did certain things, I dressed a certain way, I went to certain places so that you would know I'm better than you. And you would accept that. And the whole culture was designed for you to compare yourself against somebody else and to know where you fit in the social strata. Times have changed and times have not changed at all. It appears we're doing the same kind of stuff. It's, it's kind of funny. Down here in verse 13, he goes on and he says this. We, however, we, however, will not boast beyond our proper limits but we'll confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us. A sphere that also includes you. By the way, I think it's kind of interesting. Um, it appears that boasting is not completely out of bounds. There's a place for it. There's a place for you to say, I'm really kind of good at this. You know what that place is? The thing that God gave you to do as a gift. So even while you're boasting, even while you're boasting about what you're good at, what you're saying is, God did this thing in my life that I couldn't have become without him. It would probably help a lot of people if they would understand that you can't be good at everything. You weren't designed to be. You, you were designed by God to be good at some things and some other things. It's just not that important to you because it's not in your sphere. It's, it's not who you are. But there is this terrible thing that goes on, both through perfection and through comparing. When you look at what do I want to do, what do I want to become, what is my, my skills, and when you compare yourself to other, and you're like, that's how well they do it. I don't do it that well. I shouldn't do this at all. No. That's not the lesson that you get. The, what you're looking for as you go about life are things in you that God lights up in your soul. Why did he put that burden there? Why did he give you that excitement? Why did he load you with a fire about that sort of thing? Because that's a place that you should be engaged, that uses your skills, but you don't use them the same way that everybody else does. And yet, when you compare, you prevent yourself from ever going down the path and getting better. 
You prevent yourself from ever opening up your life to give something a try. You get trapped in the comparison game. Paul addresses this in Galatians as well. Galatians chapter 6, verse 4 says, Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. There is this thing in us where the comparing eats away at our hearts. And sometimes, sometimes as parents, we compare our kids to other kids. We compare our kids to our own kids. We, can, we do the comparing, and you are introducing into the system a toxic, a toxic thing that will choke out their life. Our role, our role as parents is to find the thing that God put in them that gets them fired up and you fan that into flames. Like, you, you let them try a whole bunch of different things. And this is part of the problem, right? You got to try a bunch of different things to find out what God has put in you to love. But in our perfect society where you fail immediately and then quit, you might not find the thing that God put in you. You might not find the thing that he has that he designed you to do that's different than everybody else. And yet, this is who you could be. Because God gave you gifts. And he's intending for you to shine with them. But you're going to have to go and discover. And instead of pointing at this person and that person and that's the ideal why don't you understand that God made you without a mistake? And it's time to discover who you are and live that life with your whole heart unto God. Driver number two. Number three and number four, I'm going to do these real quick because uh, th this has been on my radar for a little while. I've got a whole series that I'm planning in January on this stuff because of the, some of the stuff I've been reading has blown my mind. I bet you um, most are not aware of it, and you would do some things differently in your lives when the time comes. So I'm just going to touch on these real quick. But driver number three, when God said, I want you to take a Sabbath, I want you to rest, I want you to recoup, I want you to reconnect with me, when he said that, he was speaking about the human condition that he understands because he made us. It's a requirement in us that we have these spaces in our lives where we renew. And so many people are just counting on a vacation time down the path to get to, but they're going to run constant, full tilt, all the way up into that point. And that is not a recipe that does anything but invites anxiety into your life. And I'm talking to students who feel like the pace of their lives is unsustainable. I started noticing this a couple years ago. I started talking to some volleyball girls who were changing. I'd never seen this before. Almost all of them would play out-of-season volleyball, and they would travel. And almost all of them, there were only two this year who didn't, Almost all of them did a limited travel thing, and I would go and ask them, hey, I'm curious why you made that choice. I'm not, I wasn't pressuring them to go travel. I just wanted to know what was behind their thinking. And the number one answer I heard from them 
My life is going at such a crazy pace that I have to do something to find a little bit of calm. So I decided not to go full travel. Look, if, if they're feeling that, there ought to be something in you where the radar goes off and says, we have to make sure that we're honoring God by creating space to recoup. Um, you know what's weird to me? I'm, I'm hearing people who are, who are practicing it now, and you know what, what they choose to do the least of? Yeah, I'm going to practice my Sabbath. I'm not going to come to church because that's how I'm going to renew. I'm, I'm just, I'm done with that. Listen, the Sabbath was meant for you to reconnect with God because he's the center of what makes you a healthy person. So when you, when you disconnect from him, you're not doing yourself a favor. The idea of the Sabbath wasn't just a nap. It was a recentering of who you were with God. And it's missing right now. It's missing at a level where it is creating anxiety at the pace that we are going and something will have to change. Something will have to change. By the way, I, I found this. I thought it was kind of cool. Hebrews 4.9, just in case, just in case you think, oh, you're just talking about some Old Testament stuff here. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. So it hasn't gone away. Why? Because you're not different than the people that God created to, ye to need that. That's who we are. It's a need in our lives. Last one, driver four. Uh, band, if you can come up here, that would be great. This is, the one, this is the one that I wrote down because I knew it was there in the background. I just didn't know that so many, so many counselors would say, Ooh, this, is, this is serious, you have to pay attention to this. And it's connected to all the others, so I, I guess it should make sense. They said there is an unhealthy connection with technology in our culture right now. I mean, we kind of know this. You can't go out to a meal and watch a family not talk with each other but be on their phones instead. But here's the deal. These phones are being used to drive this level of perfection all the time. You can take a quiz and then get really quick feedback on how badly you did and then you worry about that until you actually talk to your teacher to fix it. You, you can have instant access to all of this stuff. It allows you to compare with other people very easily. It never goes away. There are rhythms to life where you, you're on and then you're off. The phone's always on for people. And when it dings, we run to it like a salivating dog, right? Those little, you know, that experiment that I'm talking about. They have actually started diagnosing. Diagnosing. Issues with people, when they're separated from their phone for too long, they go into an anxiety-type attack because they are not sure what they're missing out on because they're separated from it. It's happening for kids in under two hours' time. They're separated for around two hours. It starts to have a physiological impact on them. I don't know what the answer is. I'm going to suggest some stuff in January, but here, can I just say this to teens and kids in here right now? Just, will you listen to me for just a second? If your parents come to you and say, hey, we've been looking at this, 
And we think we're going to put in some breaks, some stops, some boundaries for your protection. Could you not fight them? Because the stuff that's out there about this would, would shock you. And if your parents are doing something on your best interest, could you just let it happen? Because this is driving anxiety in your life. You might not even know it yet, but it's a real thing. All four of these drivers, all four of these drivers are making it brutal out there. How she said in that song at the top, it's brutal out there. It is brutal out there. And I'm convinced that if you can start introducing some truths, some, some reality into your kids' lives about perfection, about comparing, about the pace of life that's reasonable for you to have, about proper boundaries with stuff, you could, you could give them some protection against this anxiety. See, you're connected to a God who loves you. And that love is meant to protect you from all of this stuff. Will you give your heart to pleasing him instead? Will he become the center of your life? He gives you your gifts. You're not comparing to anybody else. It's a choice that you get to make. And I hope you'll think about that as you guys worship together.